Well, I invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 this morning. And as last week we looked at uh, the role of wives in marriage to be uh, submissive to their husbands, this week we're going to look at the husbands. So man, our, our heads are on the chopping block this morning. Uh, one of the things I left with you last week was the question, why is it that the men only get one verse and there are six verses about the women? So I don't know if anybody uh, stopped to think about that, but uh, I think Thomas Schreiner in his uh, commentary really gave the best answer. It fits with Peter's overall purpose for the book. Because Peter is primarily addressing in this letter where he focuses on those who are more liable to experience oppression and persecution from those in authority over them. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that would be whether the rulers are oppressing the citizens or whether it's masters oppressing their slaves, or husbands, unbelieving husbands in particular, oppressing their wives. So Peter's heart is bent towards those who are in the suffering position. Those who are under the authority of others and are being abused, being persecuted, being oppressed. And this will actually come out more in chapter 4, First Peter. But it explains why he has the majority of his attention addressing the wives because they're more vulnerable being under the authority of their husband for abuse and oppression, particularly if the husband is an unbeliever. So in general, Peter is writing to churches that were suffering persecution and oppression. And his concern is, whenever you're under the authority of someone else, whether it's a government, whether it's a master, whether it's a husband, how do you respond when you're ill-treated? Or how do you respond when, when uh, they are abusing you in certain ways? And he's trying to give godly guidance in, in a biblical response that honors Christ. So again, because the wives were in more of a vulnerable position, they get six verses. The husbands only get one. Now in other places, for example, uh, Peter doesn't even mention anything to masters. But Paul in Ephesians and Colossians speaks to slaves and also he gives counsel and advice to masters. Also, Paul in Ephesians he only has three verses for the women, for the wives, and nine verses for the husbands. So maybe some of the wives are saying, well, let's go there. Let's go to Ephesians. And, uh, and we're actually going to go there at the end. But uh, that, that explains why I think there's, there's not the equality of verses here because Peter's heart is primarily to help, to comfort, to encourage, to give godly guidance to those who are more vulnerable in society and uh, who are more prone to uh, being made to suffer. And so I think that's probably why the husbands only get one verse here. But let's look at what, uh, what Peter does say to the husbands. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, he says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So in this short verse, Peter packs in a lot of uh, counsel and commands to husbands living with their wives. Now, Obviously, this, these are Christian husbands in view. When he starts out, he says, you husbands in the same way. In other words, <clears throat> your wife has responsibilities unto God in how to respond to their husbands. You have responsibilities from God in how to respond to your wife. So in the same way, that's what he's referring to. And notice, 
the first thing he says to them is to live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, literally, that's just live with your wives according to knowledge. And that can refer to two different ideas, I think, in this context. One of them is, of course, is that husbands need to know their wives. We need to understand our wives. And uh, some men may complain, well, that's a challenge. You know, I I don't even know my own thoughts, much less what my wife is, is thinking. But to know our wife, to understand our wife, is part of what Peter's telling husbands they need to do. Husbands, we need to know our wives, what their needs are, what their preferences are, what their moods are, what their fears are, what their hopes are. We need to be considerate of her feelings and understand that God created her with a different perspective than He created men. God created male and female differently. We're not the same, right? So men are given the responsibility to understand their wives. They don't always think the way they, we think. They don't feel the way we feel. Uh, their, their approach to issues is different than ours. And remember that God made Eve miraculously out of one of Adam's ribs so that she could be his helpmate. So the wife is given to the man to help to help the man. And her very attitude towards things, the differences, the image of God that is embedded with her equally as it is within man, is going to take a different reflection than, than maybe the man's approach. But that's to be looked at and certainly to be understood, not belittled, not demeaned, not ignored. She's there to help us as husbands, to be our helpmate, And in so doing, to balance us out. Because the image of God is reflected both in men and women. And the husband needs to understand that. And to try to understand their wife when their perspective is is different. uh, Because they're designed to be different. So we're to live with knowledge of our wives. To seek to understand them. To appreciate the image of God in them. To value their perspectives, though we may not agree. But to know your wife's likes and dislikes and generally just to respect them, to understand them, to try to understand them. So that we, we don't have the right to just throw up our hands and say, I don't, I don't understand. I'm just, I'm, I'm getting out of this thing. Or I'm, I'm out of the conversation. I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. No, we need to try to understand. Understand their perspective, their wisdom, their thoughts, their ideas. The second way this uh, exhortation in verse 7 to live with your your wives according to knowledge or in an understanding way is knowledge of God's will for you as a husband. How you're supposed to treat your wife. So husbands, live with your wives according to knowledge. Understanding what God requires of you in terms of your relationship with your wife. So it's looking at it more from the perspective of knowing God's will for her and as well for for us as men, as husbands. To live according to how God wants a Christian husband to treat his wife would be the other aspect of living with our wives in an understanding way. To that he also adds this idea as with someone weaker since she is a woman. So here Peter's referring to our wives as being weaker. And this is not meant to be derogatory or to imply inferiority. But he says they are weaker. So in what way is a wife weaker than her husband? Well, generally, this would be true. In, in physical strength, men are stronger than their wives. Now there are exceptions for example, in the uh, recent Olympics, there's a cha- transgender woman who's really a man who was uh, entering into the weightlifting competition in the Olympics. Now, number one, that, that should not happen. Men and women are different. 
Men who think there are women should not participate in, in women's sports. It's not fair. It's just, there's far more than just the hormonal part of it. But anyway, he entered into the Olympics weightlifting with women. He didn't even lift any of the weights in the first round. And there were women that lifted those weights and then lifted the next set of weights and the next set of weights. So in that sense, these women were much stronger than this man. And I would not want to arm wrestle any of the women that won medals in the Olympics in that event. In general, men are stronger than women. And I think that's one of the the ideas that Peter has in mind. He's not talking about women or mentally weaker than men or spiritually weaker or morally weaker. Uh, women can have be smarter than men. They can have a higher IQ than men. Uh, they can have more wisdom than men. It's interesting in the book of Proverbs, how does the Spirit of God talk about wisdom? It describes wisdom as, as a lady. In Proverbs one twenty, wisdom shouts in the street, she lifts her voice in the square. So it's not saying that women are in any way weaker mentally, nor spiritually or morally. Some women are more godly and spiritual than their husbands, so it's not talking about things like that. Primarily, a physical strength would be certainly in view, because she's a woman, and men generally are stronger than women. There could also be an aspect of, some would say, a disposition of women uh, that would make them weaker. And I don't think this would be true, but when you think of women and their differences with men, women are, are generally, again generally, have a greater ability to be sensitive to the needs of other people. Sometimes we as men are kind of more hard-hearted, and, but women have a, a greater capacity for showing compassion and sympathizing with others in need. That's why God made them mothers, because they have that innate ability to, to mother and to, to love and express those things, sometimes better than men. They're often less aggressive and they have a softer side, but this is really in a weakness. This is actually a strength. It's part of the Imago Dei, the image of God that's reflected in the female uh, gender. So that's really not a weakness, it's just a difference. Uh, but another aspect that I think is true in terms of Peter calling uh, women a weaker vessel in that regard is that they are weaker in the sense of authority. They have less authority in the home because the husband is the head and the husband is the leader of the home. So she's weaker because she's in the submissive role which makes her more vulnerable, less protected and open to exploitation if the husband abuses her. So in that sense, she's weaker. She doesn't have the, the same authority as the husband. Though they are equal in Christ, as we saw last week, she is not the head. The husband is the head. So she's weaker in the sense of having less authority within, within the family, within the home. So the husband is not to take advantage of that God put her in that weakened position that she has less authority in the family than the husband. So the husband should not, again, take advantage and abuse his authority. Because by design, she's in that weaker, submissive role. So if the husband abuses his authority and deals sinfully and harshly with his wife or without understanding then he is committing a sin. And he should exercise consideration and thoughtful support and encouragement of his wife. But the wife is, a, is, is, a, is weaker than her husband. So husbands need to keep that in mind. The next thing that Peter says to the husbands in verse 7, 
is to show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. So wives are to be honored by their husbands. Now this is fitting and appropriate for the husband to honor his wife because, again, she's a fellow bearer of the image of God like he is. So if you're going to honor God, you honor the image of God. And she carries it just as much as he does. But to honor our wives, men, uh, that speaks to the importance of us valuing them, respecting them, esteeming them as our wife, as having great worth to us, as being precious to us. We honor them. That God in His providence has ordained that that woman is our wife. And we need to communicate to her that we love her and we honor her in our home and in our marriage. We don't take liberties with her rights. We don't abuse them. There's a reciprocal honor that should be taking place in marriage. Both show honor to one another. The honor that our wives deserve is not based on their performance. It's because she's our wife. And the very position of being our wife is the reason why we need to honor her. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 4, Peter exhorts the believers in that church that each of you need to know how to possess his own vessel, probably referring to his wife there, in sanctification and honor. So the husbands need to possess their wives in sanctification and honor. We need to learn how to treat them with honor. So in, in, in essence, if we, if we treat them that way, we should, man, we should look upon our wives as an expensive, beautiful, fragile vase. And honor them as God's gift to us. And treat them with honor. Now, why does she deserve honor? Well, because in verse 7, Peter says, she is a fellow heir of the grace of life. She's a fellow heir of the grace of life. First off, notice the expression, she's a fellow heir. Now, this is the very same word that Paul used in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, of Gentile believers who are fellow heirs with Jewish believers. They, they inherit exactly the same blessings in Christ. And that's how Paul used that word. He says, to be specific, Ephesians 3, 6, that Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And, he's, and what he's doing is bringing the, the, the believing Gentiles and the believing Jews and saying they're fellow heirs. They're fellow partakers of the promise. They're in the covenant together. They're equal in Christ. So that Paul would later say there is no longer Jew or Gentile in the body of Christ, right? So the same is true with our wives. And the reason why husbands should honor their wives is because they are fellow heirs with us of the grace of life. So the word heir here means you have an inheritance. You're an heir to an inheritance. And both husbands, believing husbands and believing wives, are inherit the same glory. We have the same eschatological hope of full glory in Christ, of, of the grace that we're going to receive. Remember back in 1 Peter 1.13, Peter says to fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Believing husbands, believing wives, look forward to the same grace. The same glory. So they are fellow heirs with their husbands and they will inherit exactly the same glory, the same heaven. So that 
believing wives are fundamentally equal with their husbands in their position in Christ. We have different roles within the family, but we are equal in Christ. So that they are not inferior, they are equal. And all believers are God's children and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, whether you're man or woman. So we're fellow heirs together. So, when wives like their husbands believe in the same Savior, are redeemed by the same blood, they live by the same grace, and therefore they also look forward to the same destiny. And if husbands, if we have that attitude towards our wives, it will end all domestic tyranny and all abuse. Because you are mistreating a fellow heir of Christ and of His kingdom and of His glory. So, one of the things about this, of course, is look how novel and unique Christianity is compared to the pagan culture of the day. This is very counter-cultural. Because in the culture... Women had a demoted position in general. Their status was more being inferior, not equal to men. But what Christianity does is it elevates men to women to equality in Christ. Again, there is a difference in the role. The men are the leaders, they have the head, the wife is to be submissive, but they're equal in Christ, and that was, that was really unheard of. So Christianity elevated the, the status of women spiritually in Christ. So they are a fellow heir of specifically what he says in verse 7, the grace of life. So basically the grace of life is to is an expression of the grace that we have now, both husbands and wives have now in Christ, but there's also a greater display of it to come. And what does grace mean? Well, it's undeserved favor that's given to both men and women as a gift. And what does the grace of life refer to? Well, it's the fullness of life. It can refer to spiritual life. Both husband and wife have that. It can refer to resurrection life to come. Both husband and wife in Christ will experience that. And it's eternal life that both husband and wife have and share now and will forever in glory. So both the wife and the husband are equal sharers in the grace of life. And that is why Peter says that husbands should honor their wives. She's one of Christ's sheep. She's a member of Christ's body. She's a fellow stone in Christ's temple and a fellow member of Christ's bride, which is the church. So she's worthy of being honored. Failure to do that, men, Peter says in verse 7, will have consequences. He says, show honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So now Peter is saying, look, if you don't treat your wife with honor, you're the head, you're the one in in the authority position, but if you abuse that and you mistreat your wife, then your prayers will, will be hindered. Our prayer life will be hindered. So what Peter is saying here, and this is pretty sobering, because what he's saying is, is the closeness of the husband's relationship with God is going to be impacted by our relationship with our wives. So if I'm not treating my wife right, it will negatively impact my relationship with God. If we take advantage of our wives or abuse our wives or treat them as inferior slaves, we fail to love them, then our relationship with God will suffer and our prayer lives will show it. Our prayer lives will be hindered 
Now the word to hinder means to to make something difficult to make progress in. To hinder means to, to throw up obstacles so that you can't move forward in it. And so what Peter is telling the husbands is if, you, if we abuse our wives and mistreat them, then my prayer life, my relationship with God will have obstacles in it. And I will suffer from that. This word to hinder is used by Paul in Galatians 5 when he says to the Galatians, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying God? Obeying the truth. What caused you to have this spiritual shipwreck or train wreck? Who hindered you? You're not making progress in the things of Christ. What stopped you? What damned up your progress so that you're not flowing and running to the Savior more? And of course, it was partly of the legalism trying to throw works into the salvation gospel. But their progress in the faith was being hindered. And Peter uses that word here. This really speaks of a husband whose relationship with God is in reverse because he's not treating his wife right. That the husband who doesn't honor his wife and treats her in a and doesn't treat her in a God honoring way will experience spiritual decline in our own walk with the Lord. Our relationship with our wife will suffer and our relationship with God will suffer. Our hearts will grow cold to God and our prayer life will suffer. We won't pray. Our prayer life will be hindered. Our prayer life will dry up because of our sinful and abusive treatment of our wife will not only harden our hearts towards her, it will harden our hearts towards God and my prayer life will show it. It will also negatively impact family worship which should be going on. A husband that's mistreating his why, for not honoring her as he should, that's going to be reflected in the poor quality of the family worship. It'll be reflected when the husband and wife don't pray together. Because we're just not treasuring and valuing and honoring her as a fellow heir of the grace of life. This hindrance can also come from God's side as well. It can mean that God will not pay attention to your prayers. He will refuse to answer them. Their prayers will be blocked. They'll lose their effectiveness. Remember Psalm 66, verse 18. The psalmist says, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. And husbands, when we dishonor our wives, our prayer life will suffer. God doesn't favor those who are in authority who abuse their authority by mistreating a fellow heir of the grace of life. What Peter is saying to husbands is that your relationship with God will be determined in a significant way by your relationship with your wife. Now this is not to lead husbands to abdicate their authority, their headship within the family, certainly not. But it's a warning not to abuse it. Because Jesus loves the believing wife as much as He loves the believing husband and if the husband abuses his child, he will take note. He's entrusted that wife into our care as the weaker vessel. Don't misuse her or abuse her. I remember Ezra back in the Old Testament. One of the things about Ezra is that he studied the law of God. He practiced it. 
And then he taught it to others. And every week, I'm just convicted to the core because I have the great privilege of studying these things. And I try to practice these things and I fall short big time. And then I got to stand up and, and teach it. So what I'm going to tell you this morning is, is uh, before I taught this, I had to go to my wife and confess my sin and ask for forgiveness. I mean, it's part of the blessing of being able to, to study the Word. But man, I've been, I've been living with this all week, guys. You're just getting it for an hour this morning. And the Spirit of God has been convicting me all week long. But we all fall short. And, and I think we just need the grace of God in these areas because apart from the grace of Christ, we cannot do it. But praise God, there is grace. Okay, we still have some time, so I want to I give the men uh, their fair share of, uh, of attention. So let's go now to uh, Ephesians chapter 5 and very quickly see what Paul adds to this in terms of Christian husbands. So Ephesians chapter 5. So we briefly looked at the wives' responsibilities in verses 22 through 24. So we'll pick it up with the husbands in verse 25. So I want to read down through uh, the end of the chapter. So husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her, so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of, of water with the Word, that He might present to Himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great. But I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So as we look at this, the main exhortation here, the main command, the main duty of husbands in this passage is to love, is to love their wives. So we need to be our wives' lovers. When you back up to verse 23, this of course is in the context. If you look at verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. So Christ is the head of the church. That's to be reflected in the husband being the head of the, of the wife. But male headship is what's involved in verse 23. And that speaks again to this partnership between two spiritually equal human beings in Christ, man and wife, where the man has a responsibility to lead that partnership in a God-glorifying direction. The opposite of male headship is male domination where the husband asserts his will over the wife in an abusive and sinful way and doesn't acknowledge her as a fellow heir of the grace of life. So to be a godly husband, our model, men, is Jesus Christ. So we see in verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So Christ is our model. We are to imitate Christ's love for His church and our love for our wives. Women, wives, Christ is your model also. This is the beauty. This is the, the Christocentric view of marriage. For the husband, Christ is our model in His relationship with the church. 
For the wives, Christ is your model in His relationship to the Father. Because He submitted Himself to the will of the Father. So both husband and wife should keep their eyes on Jesus Christ because He becomes our model. For the wife again, in Christ's relationship to the Father. For the husband, in Christ's relationship to the church. But Christ is the model for both. Now look at what he says in verse 25. There are three descriptions of the love that husbands should have for their wives. The first one is that it should be a sacrificial love. Look at verse 25 again. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. He sacrificed for His wife. So as Christ died on the cross and sacrificed for His wife, the bride, the church, He becomes the example for us husbands to love our wives with a sacrificial love. That means that there will need to be times when we deny ourselves, when we sacrifice in order to serve and minister to our wives. It's a sacrificial love. That love that Christ has for us as the bride, His bride as the church, is an unconditional love, an undying love, an unselfish love, a purposeful and powerful love. And that's what men should have for their wives. It's a love that should be expressed in words, and it's a love that should be expressed in action. I mean, men, we can tell our wives all day long that we love them, but if we never do anything to show that, then the words are fairly empty. Christ's sacrificial love for us is also a love that forgives us. That's why He died on the cross. He sacrificed Himself so we could be forgiven. And husbands, we should have a forgiving love as part of the sacrifice for our wives. Paul reminds us that love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Because in, right, in, any, in any marriage, we have two sinners. The husband is a sinner. The wife is a sinner. Conflicts can happen. Words can be said. Actions can be done. And the husband, if we're to love our wives like Christ loved the church, with a sacrificial love, it should be a forgiving love as well. Colossians says in chapter 3, Husbands, love your wives. Do not be embittered against them. If we ever become embittered against our wives because we don't love them with a sacrificial love, we're not forgiving them. So we must not harbor grudges. Get rid of them. Collect postage stamps. Collect coins. Don't collect grudges. Forgive. That's type of the the sacrificial love it's a forgiving love and by the way it's also a very special love one of the arguments for limited atonement is that christ had a special love for his bride right it's a love that is infinitely greater than his love for the others and every wife wants her husband to believe in a limited atonement (laughs) Because you want that husband's love to be special and greater for you than anybody else, right? It's only right that it should be. But it is a special love for our wife. That's the love Christ has for the church. It's special for us. He elected us. He chose us. He sent His Son to die for us. Far greater than those who never received Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's a special love. And our sacrificial love should be like that. Notice in verse 25, Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. He loved the church. That's that special, infinite, powerful love. And men, husbands, were to reflect that in the love that we have for our, for our wives. So the first description is that it is a sacrificial love. Secondly, Paul says that the love that a husband should have for his wife 
is a sanctifying love. Look at verse 26 and 27. So that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So Christ's love for His church is not only sacrificial, it's also a sanctifying love. It's a love that is, that is working towards adorning our wives with, with the grace of Christ to help her grow. And notice the emphasis on the Word of God here in verse 26. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the Word. So that our love for our wives should be a love that should bring us into the Word of God so that the Word of God and the Spirit of God can sanctify her to help her to grow in her walk with Jesus Christ as part of our love as husbands for our wives to make sure that they're in that context. At home and family worship, corporate worship, these things are important. The sanctifying love that Christ had for His church can be expressed in in many different ways. To have this kind of a sanctifying love, obviously, husbands, we need to be teaching our wives. We need to be in the Word of God with our wives. Jesus prayed in John 17 for the church, sanctify them in truth. Thy Word is truth. If we're to imitate that, we need to make sure our wives are in the Word of God. Encourage them in that. Through family devotions and worship, we can can teach and and, uh, bring them in contact with the Word of God as well. But in doing that, there's other aspects of this sanctifying love just on a practical level. In Christ showing His sanctifying love for His disciples, He obviously spent time with them. A lot of time. And I think for us to have that sanctifying love with our wives, to be able to commune in the Word with them, we've got we've to spend time with our wives. Someone did a study and it said that husband and wives on the average spend 37 minutes a week in actual communication. 37 minutes a week. That's not going to have much of a sanctifying influence if that's the extent of our talking and communicating with our wives. Christ also showed His sanctifying love for His church by praying for them and with them. Christ right now is showing His love for you and for me. He is praying for us right now from heaven. He prayed for His disciples. He prayed with His disciples. And husbands, we should pray for our wives and we should pray with our wives. That sanctifying love was also an encouraging. I mean, these disciples were misfits you know, half the time. He loved them. He encouraged them. He rebuked them. He admonished them. He, he was a good example of, of good works to them. He's out healing people. He's teaching people. He's sanctifying them by being a godly good example. Husbands, we need to be that to our wives as well. Good communication. Opening up, sharing with our wives. Christ did that with His disciples. He taught them many things. This uh, aspect of sanctifying love is something that uh, I think is, is just as important as the sacrificial love. So Paul says, Husbands, love your wives with a sacrificial love. Deny yourself. Be willing to sacrifice for your wife. Sanctifying love. Bring them in contact with the Word of God. Be a godly example. Pray for them. And then thirdly, he says, love them with a self-love. And if you look at verse 28, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, 
but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. So he commands the uh, husbands to now husbands, love your wives with a self-love. Now this is not the modern day psychological concept of self-love. That's full of a lot of self-esteem and oh, I'm just so wonderful and aren't I great and all that kind of... This is basically in the context of self-love he's talking about is just that we care for our bodies. We, we meet our physical needs. We meet our emotional needs. Uh, we're concerned. When, you know, when I'm hungry, I go eat. When I'm cold, I go put on more clothes. I mean, I, I, I love myself in that way. I care for myself. I nourish myself. I cherish myself. That's what he says. And what he's indicating is that the husband's love for his wife should be at least equal to the love that he has for himself. He cares for his own needs. Look, you are one flesh together. He quotes that in Genesis. You're one flesh. She's now part of your, your body, if you will. So if you love yourself, don't neglect your wife. And so the emphasis for the man is that he should love his wife as he loves himself. Now it's interesting, the word cherish here in verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes, that would be feed it, and cherishes it. And the word for cherish literally had the idea of to make something warm. And then it came to refer to caring for someone, making, you know, someone's cold, make them warm. So here's a practical application, husbands. So it's in the middle of the winter time, and your wife gets in bed and she puts those frozen toes on your nice, warm, toasty leg. Suck it up. Let her do it. I mean, it's just a part of the idea of, you know, we, we, we care for them. We nourish them. We cherish them. We make them warm. We want them to be warm. So apart from our relationship with Christ, husbands, the most important person in our lives should be our wives. Not our children. Not other members of the family. It should be our wives. Because we are in covenant with them. The children are going to grow up and leave. But the wife and the husband have a permanent relationship. And the sad thing is, is that when the marriages oftentimes go south, then they start reaching out to others for that comfort, that attention, that love. Oftentimes it's the children. And for both husband and wife, they need to realize that this is, this is the, the key relationship. Other than our relationship with Jesus Christ, the most important one in our lives is our relationship with our wives. So husbands, be on guard against a love that atrophies over the years. A love that begins to waste away and grows weak over time. Guard your hearts against that. Love our wives with a sacrificial love, a sanctifying love, and a self-love that brings honor and glory to the Lord. So in conclusion, husbands are to lead their wives, not push them. Love them, not lord it over them. Understand them, not neglect or ignore them. Honor them, not disgrace or humiliate them. Wives respond to that. They respond to love. And many marital problems can be resolved when the husband begins to love and honor his wife in a godly way. The husband's love can cause the wife to open up and blossom like the warm sunshine can cause a, a rosebud to, to open up and blossom and release its beauty and its fragrance. And if the wife is not flowering, maybe it's because there's not a love, enough warm 
sunshine coming from the husband's love. So marriage is a covenant. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage because there's two sinners in that covenant. But there is a third who is holy, righteous, good, powerful, full of grace and mercy to help us as men fulfill our responsibilities. And we need much grace, but thank God we have a Savior full of it. And we just need to draw near to Him, confess our sins, and to seek more grace from the fountain of grace Himself, Jesus Christ. So may God help us as husbands. Man, we need a lot of it. But may we humble ourselves and acknowledge when we fail. And as we have already, as we began this service with a call to repentance, we need to be reminded of it as we leave. That the Spirit of God has convicted your heart and my heart of failure and sin in these matters. We need to go confess it to the Lord as sin and confess it to our wives as sin as well. And look to Him to heal the breach that our marriages can bring glory and honor to Him. Well, let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank You, Lord, for the Word of God that uh, confronts us in every area of our life, even in marriage. And Lord, we just pray that for all the husbands and all the wives, Lord, in all the ways that we struggle and fall short, Lord, we confess that to You as sin. Forgive us, dear Lord. And we thank You that in, in even in asking that, we're not asking to be saved again. We're just needing Your cleansing from the stain and the pollution that our sin has brought into our marriages. And then Lord, give us more grace. And especially give husbands more grace to love their wives, to honor them as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that our relationship with You might not be hindered, but we might grow ever closer to You through our relationship with Christ and as we treat our wives in a way that is pleasing to You. So Lord, help us in our weakness. Give us Your strength. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.